0: A reading from the book of James, chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit.
1: How we doing this morning, Rise? Oh, man. Oh, man. So in 1915, a man named Ernest Shackleton, uh, along with 27 other um, sailors, uh, headed for a trek. You want to pull that picture up? Uh, headed for a trek across Antarctica. Now, 1915. This was a time where there there were these lands, known lands that were yet to be explored. so Antarctica was one of them. They they wanted to go across and journey this entire place in in an expedition called the Endurance, and they had a ship called the Endurance. Well, they got about 80 miles off of shore, and they were moving through the ice, and they got stuck in the ice, and so they began uh, to pick away chip away, work away at the ice. You can see this next photo is actually of the endurance stuck in the ice and, and, and the men chipping away, trying to make their way through. Now, that first night that they were stuck, uh, it dropped to negative 15 degrees. Now, some of you guys may ask, Fahrenheit or Celsius? At negative 15, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? It's cold. And as the men... Slept in the ship under the cracking and bowing of the wood and the pressure of this ice. Ernest snuck out among the ice and and paced back and forth. And he sought the Lord. Lord, what do we do? How do we get through a situation like this? He, He knew he needed vision and resolve and direction and clarity of mind to get through a situation like this. And so each day as they would work away breaking at this ice before they would start, even though they felt pressed for time, he would lead his men through reading of the word in prayer. And the reason was is because he knew if they were going to get through this, they needed three things. One, they needed the presence of God to be with them through such a trial. Second, they needed a deep unity and unison amongst the men as they were exhausted and cold and tired. They had to be bonded together to fight through a situation like this. And here's the third thing they needed. They needed a miracle of God to get all 27 of these men alive. They chipped away at that ice for about 10 months before the endurance finally sank underwater. Uh, actually, kind of a side note. Fascinating. Um, a little less than a year ago, uh, the endurance was found for the first time. Uh, in, in 2022, they found the ship. And so, at 10 months, uh, their boat capsizes, and they set up camp there on ice. And Ernest and a small group begin to trek across the ice using sleds and walking. And it, it in total, it from the time they set sail to the f- time they see. The first civilized people, um, it was 18 months of time. And Ernest gathered people together on a rescue boat to head back. And little by little, they would take these small boats making its way to their men, a few at a time, grabbing them, picking them up, and then bringing them back to civilization. Uh, uh, Ernest Shackleton was on every single one of those rescue boats, rescuing those men. Now, I, I hear a story like that, and I don't know about you, but I think, man, I want to be that kind of man. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be that kind of, that has that resolve, that, that loves people in that way, that, that is steadfast, in such a way. Now, 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 here's the thing. I'm not so ignorant to think that when we are launching a series like Daring Prayers, that everybody is walking in this room saying, yes, this is what I've needed. Just somebody teach me to pray. That's, the, what's, that's what's wrong with my life. That's the challenge. Now, I get it. Some of, he, some of you are deeply excited in a moment like this. You're like, yes, because you have a passion for prayer. But most of us walk into the room this morning feeling like we've been in an Arctic journey. And we've gotten stuck and we have gotten off course and we don't know how we're gonna press forward. We walk in today feeling overwhelmed, burdened, stuck in your life and relationships and career and wondering what to do next. And here's my hope as we work through this journey of daring prayers over the next four weeks that we would learn that prayer. Not small, pithy, robotic prayers, but daring presence-seeking, connection-building, power-inducing prayers are exactly what we need for this season of life. We need to learn to connect with God's presence. We need to have a passion to to gather together with God's people, and we need God's power. And, And the gateway to that, you know what it is? You guys, it is prayer. This is what James says in chapter five, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. See, daring prayers are presence seeking. They are longing for a presence. See, we have different categories. When, when we start to feel stressed or overwhelmed or stuck or burdened by life, uh, what do we do? We seek one of two things. Uh, we seek comfort or we seek control. Okay? And some of it's personality, some of it's upbringing. Some of you guys run into a wall, and you are a control person, and you're like, we're knocking this wall down. We got this. Like, we're going to find a way through. We're going to find a way over. That is that control personality. Others are comfort. You run into a wall, you're like, this is a great spot for a picnic. You know, you just relax, right? And and we have these different things that we turn to, and and these different comforts. and, And we have to actually analyze, in this situation, what am I turning to? Am am I just trying to be in control of the situation? Or rather, am I trying to disconnect and disassociate and turn to my different comforts, right? So I, I remember a situation where I felt completely overwhelmed. And and, and it revealed uh, my sense and my desire for control. It was about 15 years ago, and uh, we were leading, uh, I was a youth pastor, and we were leading a group together with, you know, a few different groups of of youth students up Mount Hood, and we were doing this hike around Mount Hood. It's a 14-mile hike all the way, you know, uh, through Mount Hood, okay? And we got about seven or eight miles up, and the snow was so thick at the top that we actually lost the trail, okay? Now, that's not a good thing. You don't want to lose the trail. So at that point, we're like, you know what? Um, instead of continuing on this loop all the way around, we're turning around, we're, we're walking down, we're setting up camp, and we're just having a night of camping, and we're gonna enjoy it, okay? And so we went through and we, and we brought these groups down and we split these youth into three different groups kind of, you know, in, in different areas, all separate. And the leader came to me that our guide said, hey, we have a little bit of a situation. And I was like, okay, what's the situation? Um, he's like, we... Um, this is unusual, but we had a, we've had a bear tracking us um, down as we're just dropping food and we see markings and droppings and, we, and, and we've heard noises and stuff like that. Now, I grew up in California, in the suburbs of California, so I know that he's lying to me because bears aren't real, right? You know? <laughs> Smoky the Bear, Yogi Bear, right? And so I kind of, I'm almost like playing it off a little bit. And he looks at me, he's like, hey, just so you know, like I know bears in this area normally aren't dangerous, but also bears normally wouldn't track a group of teenagers. So this is a little bit serious. And I was like, okay, sorry, <laughs> right? And he turns around and he's like, I'm gonna go get the other groups and I'm gonna bring them back to you. And as he's walking off to get the other groups, that's as the sun is setting and it gets dark, Right. And so now I'm sitting there, and I look at my you know my co-leader and my group of youth, and they're all sleeping, right? Because we just had this exhausting hike that we woke up at three in the morning, you know, four. And I'm like, so like, now what do I do if the bear shows up? So I come up with a plan, all right? So here's my strategy. The first thing, I build the biggest raging fire that I can because this is what I know, okay? I was a middle child and I can shuffle around any object. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm gonna build this, right? But then I have this thought, like bears could be, they could be big, right? But w- so what if it jumps over the fire? Well, as a teenager, I watched this movie about a guy who was being attacked by grizzly bears, totally fictional and he made these giant stakes. And as the bear jumped at him, he stuck it in the ground and the bear, the bear like pierced its heart and soul on this stick. So I start, you know, whittling this spear, right? And so I got this fire and this spear and I'm like, you know, I, I go from, you know, California suburbs to just like jungle man immediately, you know? And this group comes back and they're, you know, I, I see their headlamps that are coming towards me. And they show up and they're like, they're like what are you doing and i'm so i'm going to i'm starting to explain my plan and as i'm explaining my plan i'm realizing you know this fire is actually not very big it's kind of warm enough to you know warm your toes but this is not a raging you know bonfire and i look down and i'm wearing flip-flops and board shorts for some reason you know that's my attire as, as I'm relaxing, and my spear was a little bit more like a marshmallow stick, right? So I, I basically, I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm, I'm scared, so I'm trying to take control of this situation, and I look more like I'm ready for s'mores on the beach than I am for a bear. But this is how we are in our situations. We think, I can take control of this, and we look down and we realize like, we got, we got flip-flops and a s'more stick, okay? But we, we want control or we want comfort. And what James is telling us is part of the purpose of prayer is that in suffering and trouble, we need to seek connection with the presence of God. That's what we need. Not control, not comfort. You guys, we need connection. That is, that is our ultimate need and desire, because deep inside of you, you are created to connect with the God who controls all things, not to be in control yourself. Even if you are distant from God, here's what I know today. At some point in your life, you have prayed out. It is, it is within us. We reach a point of, of breaking where we're so desperate that we will, we, will even, we will seek out to a God that we don't even believe in. You know why? Because you were created to connect with that God. You were created to experience his presence. And when we find ourselves suffering and afraid and overwhelmed, we will either turn to God's presence or a cheap substitute every time. And James is saying, why don't you connect with God's presence? Whatever situation you're in, why don't you reach out? And so when you're in chaotic, uncharted territory, what you don't need is more comfort and what you don't need is more control. You need to surrender and hunger to the presence of God. See, here's what's incredible about God is God is always present. We don't pray so that we can summon God's presence. We pray so that we can be aware that, of God's presence that is already there. He is among us. This is what the psalmist writes in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your hand will hold me fast. God is always ever-present in every moment in everyone's lives, the difference is our awareness. We do not pray so that God would become present in our lives. We pray so that we be- can become aware of his presence. This is why I love that song, Holy Spirit. We are, you're not, we are not welcoming the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is already present here. You hear me? Right? But it's a posture that says, no, Holy Spirit, we need to experience your presence. Help us become more aware of your experience. Of your presence. It's a posture in our this is what prayer is. It's an awareness. And so in suffering, we need to turn to God and turn to his presence, but also in joy and victory. We need to celebrate with God. This is what he says. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. What is this? This is inviting our good Father into the good things that He's done. I love when my kids have made something or built something and they can't wait to show me, right? It, it, it's, I come home and, and Nova just gets done with arts, you know, um, art camp and she's like, dad, look at the things I made, this is amazing. And I just love it. Dax learns a new lightsaber move and I'm like, he, he wants to show me in the backyard I'm like, that's amazing, you will destroy those Ewoks, right? You know, like they're inviting me in. And I, and I, but imagine if I come home and Nova just got done with art camp. And I'm like, "Nova, Nova, show me what you made." And she's like, "Oh, Dad, Dad, you're the things on your plate are too important for my paper mache unicorn. I don't want to bother you with such endeavors, right? When I feel loved in that moment, like, no, not at all. Yet, how often do we do that to God? God's saying, "Hey, if anyone is joyful, Rejoice! invite me into it. And we're like, no, you have bigger things. You don't care about these small things. But if we become a people of presence that long for the presence of God, we see that shift and we stop excluding him. See, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, he puts it like this. This is the chief end of man. The purpose of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is s- sound theological doctrine that we would we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. And then C.S. Lewis, he actually builds on this. And this is what he says. He, He goes, these two are actually the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. This is the first purpose of daring prayers. You know what it is? That you would experience God's presence that you would invite him into every moment of your life, whether it is a low moment or a high moment. God wants relationship with you. He wants connection with you. I think about my relationship with my wife. Uh, we started dating 12 years ago this summer. We, we had a group of friends. They were all going down to this, uh, this island on Balboa Island, and this was our second date, okay? So we, 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 we're all hanging out as a group of friends, and everybody was teasing us before, and oh, you guys are going to like, you know, fall in love or like, stop, like, see, that's not going to happen. She lives in Seattle. I live in Portland. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, by day two, we stayed up till like one in the morning by the campfire, just her and I talking. By day three, we had our first date. By day four, this was our second date. We went to downtown Disney. That's the cheapest uh, date you can have at Disney. Just go to downtown area and just hang out. You don't, have to, don't even have to pay for access. You know, yeah, a little, little hack for you. Um, and by day five, I told her brother who was on the trip with us, I was like, hey, just so you know, I'm gonna marry your sister, right? So, Uh, Four months later, uh, she moved down to Portland, and it was on my birthday, and um, I tricked her into, through another friend, to planning a surprise birthday party for me, okay? Because here's what I knew. I wanted all my friends there because it was gonna be a surprise engagement party. And if it didn't go well, I was still having a birthday party. You know what I'm saying, right? So, So we went up to Larch Mountain, I was gonna take her to all my favorite places. Large Mountain is one of them. And as we're going up to Large Mountain, it starts snowing. And I was like, this is amazing. And so I went back and I got the ring and I put my hands on her face and I looked at her and I said, Jesse, will you marry me? And she ripped my hands off her face. She says, what did you say? You were covering my ears, right? (laughs) And so I got, a, I got a do-over, and I dropped to my knee and proposed, and, and this is her, um, you know, when, when we got engaged, and, and she was like wearing all my coats because we were in snow for some reason, right? And it just was this incredible, just massive joy. So four months later, we got, we started dating, four months later, we got engaged, and four months later, uh, we got married, and this was us um, on our wedding day in the... And the there. and yes, my face was that red. I don't know, I just was like smitten, right? I just was so excited, like I pulled this off, guys, right? Can you believe this? And here, like, here's the thing, okay? Like I, man, I remember, I remember those early days so vividly, like the, the rush, the first time we hold hands, and like the excitement of what that, when, when I put that engagement ring on her finger, when I said, I mean, the rush of saying I do, Just the joy of all those moments. But here's here's what I know without a doubt. 12 years later, my love for that woman is so much deeper than it was in those early days of the excitement and the rush. Now, when we got married, I was so excited. I was so excited to marry someone so beautiful. I was so excited to marry someone so talented. I love that she's an incredible mom, I love that she is a brilliant artist. I mean, she designed this building. There's so many things I love about her, but you know what has deepened our love over these 12 years? You guys, it's her presence. That every moment of my life, every high and low over these last 12 years, she has been present there. Uh, The greatest joys of my life, from the moment we planted this church and I walked down the aisle for the first time and preached my first sermon, she was there. When, we hel- when I held my children for the first time, she was allowed to be there as well, right? <laughs> she had something to do with it. When Steph Curry won his fourth NBA championship, she was by my side, like the greatest <laughs> joys in life. She's a- but, but also, um, her presence has been there in the lows. When I held my mom's hand and I had to say goodbye to her, not knowing I was going to lose her, my wife was right there by my side when I've experienced betrayal and wounds. My wife has been, her presence has been by my side. And I know no matter the ups and the downs, as long as we both shall live, she will be there by my side. It's, it's her presence that brings depth to the relationship. This is what James is saying. He's saying, you we pray, not so that we get what we want, we pray so that we can experience the presence of loving God who wants to be with us in the highs and lows, who is, who is near to us in these moments. This is the purpose of prayer is to connect with a creator who wants relationship with you. Charles Ringma puts it like this. He says, whatever form and shape prayer takes, our first concern is not to press God for the things we think we need or the matters we are concerned about, but rather a quest for God's presence and relationship. That is a daring prayer that says, I pray in all situations, not so that I can get what I want, not so things go my way, but I know that there is a God who will walk with me through it no matter what. This is why we pray. And so as we embark on this journey, more than just getting content from this series, my hope is that you would develop practices that you would begin to be present. As you kind of make your way out, I would love for you to stop by the prayer resource area. We have books, uh, we have journals, we have these incredible prayer cards. There are these prayers for pretty much any situation that is written by our prayer team, praying through scripture, no matter what you're facing. I want you to develop the practice of saying, I need God's presence in this situation, This is how James continues on. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See, daring prayers are vulnerable prayers. It's opening yourself up to community and connection with God's people. Like imagine what this was like when when James wrote this letter, okay? Most of these people, the 12 tribes of the dispersion, they're disconnected. And when they got sick, it was part of their spiritual, religious practices and their cultural practice that you were isolated and you were disconnected from community. And because of, of where medicine was at the time, a lot of times you got sick. I mean, this could be your final days. And James is saying, listen, this, in this vulnerable state, in this brokenness, In this isolation and disconnection, the church, the people of Jesus, we're gonna live differently. We're gonna invite people into our brokenness. We're gonna invite people into our pain. We're gonna invite people into our suffering. He says, call upon the elders of the church. Now, again, at this day and age, a church was, what, twenty. 30, maybe 40 people. And so it was a small, there was a small group of elders or pastors or overseers that, that would care for the needs, the spiritual needs of the whole church. And what he's saying is not only elders or only pastors can come pray for you when you're sick, but what he's saying is you should have people in your life that, that love Jesus, that you trust with your faith, that you welcome into your pain and brokenness. And I love how he goes on. He's like, listen, even if it's sin that caused this sickness, then that doesn't matter because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You will be forgiven and you will be healed. If we would invite people in. Now, this is not a universal promise that every time you pray over somebody who's sick, you'll be healed. Week four, we're going to talk about healing prayers and the importance of this. But this is a call that you need to hear that you need to be vulnerable with people. You need to let them into the broken parts of your life, the place that you're like, no, no, no. If they knew about this, they wouldn't love me. Guess what? Maybe as a human being, they wouldn't, but through the grace of Jesus, they can. And we can let people into our pain and brokenness. For some of you, the most daring, dangerous, bold, courageous prayer you can pray over the next four weeks is just allowing someone else into your pain to pray over you. That is a daring, bold prayer. It's a vulnerable prayer to let people in. Listen, when we were kids, everybody played hide and seek, right? And there was always that one kid in your neighborhood or in your friend group who hid too well. You know what I'm talking about? the one who would just never get found, right? Some of you guys are like, that was me, right? You're like, I knew every crawl space in the attic in the houses, you know, right? And and you thought the point of hide and seek was what? To hide and never get found. No, the point of hide and seek is to have fun with your friends and you ruined it, right? (laughs) Like Jimmy never shows up when we play hide and seek. He's gone forever. Jimmy just went home. Jimmy was an introvert, right? So, but we do this and here's the thing. Many of us, we continue to do this through life. I remember a few years ago reading a story about a man who got cancer. And he didn't tell his family because he thought he wanted to protect them from the pain and the grief. And then he died. And after he died, they found out. And outward, people in the distance would all say, oh, he was so courageous. Oh, he was so brave. He battled it on his own. You know how his family felt? Betrayed and wounded. We we think being guarded and not letting people in is protecting them from pain and suffering. No, it's preventing us from deep, vulnerable, intimate connection is what it's doing. Some of you, you need to get found. Some of you are still hiding because you're good at it. And what James is saying, it's time to get found. See, I I actually think the Christian life is a lot more like the game sardines. You know the game sardines? Yes, sardines is so much better. In fact, uh, one of my favorite books is, uh, is a book by a guy named Robert Fulgram, and it's called All I Need to Know in Life I Learned in Kindergarten. And he talks about the game sardines. This is what he says. Just just read this with me. He says, I like the game sardines. And sardines, the person who is it goes and hides and everybody goes looking for him. When you find him, you get in with him and you hide there with him. Pretty soon, everybody's hiding together, all stacked in a small space like puppies in a pile. And pretty soon, somebody giggles and somebody laughs and everybody gets found. He says, I think God is a sardine player and will be found the same way everybody gets found in sardines, by the sound of laughter of those heaped together at the end. That's the church, man. Not a place where we hide, but a place where we are bold enough, daring enough, courageous enough to be vulnerable about our wounds, about our failures, about our brokenness. And one of the greatest ways to do that is through prayer. And at the end of the worship set here, in this second worship set, um, Zach's, Zach's gonna come up and he's gonna invite you uh, to be a little bit vulnerable. And at, in the back of the room, we have a prayer wall that has different categories of prayers that we're gonna be going over the next four weeks. And during the time of worship, I'm just gonna invite you to go up and grab one of those pens and just write your prayer. It could be a healing prayer, it could be a daring prayer could be a kingdom prayer, but it's prayers that we would see God move in radical ways. See, and this is the last thing that we see from James in in verse 16. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You see, daring prayers are desperate prayers. Think about the desperation of this situation, of this circumstance. It says, Elijah, who's this Old Testament prophet, says he was a man with a nature like ours. The whole point of using Elijah as an example is that he had a human nature. See, we look at people and we look at how God moves radically in their lives. And we so often say, well, he's he's moving radically because they have this supernatural faith. Or there's just something about their life or there's something great. And what James is saying, he's like, no, look at Elijah. Elijah. Elijah had a nature like ours. It is not about our nature. It is not about our spiritual power. It's about God's spiritual power. He says if we have faith like a mustard seed, it is not the size of our faith, it's what the source of our faith and what our faith is in. You understand that? This is why we pray big, bold, courageous prayers, not because you are amazing, not because you are mighty, because he is mighty. And if we would learn to long for his presence, if we would be vulnerable and connect with others, imagine if we were a praying church, not because we're amazing, but because God is all powerful. Because he is glorious. Yeah. See, as Elijah prayed over his city, this was a desperate city. Like, like, imagine what that was like going three and a half years without rain. That's over a thousand days. That would rattle us. And think of how advanced that we are. Like, we can get water, we have source. But in an agrarian society, like Israel at this time, that ha- they didn't have world trade. They didn't have connections and ports. I mean, it would be challenging. There would be people starving to death. The economy would be collapsing. And even bigger than this, rain often symbolizes both God's presence and his provision. So not only is uh, is their world and their society falling apart, but there's a spiritual realm where they feel disconnected from God. And in Elijah, this is what it says in 1 Kings. 18. So he goes to Ahab, who is the king and the ruler at this time. And here's what he says He says, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Now, understand this in the context of the story. Elijah hasn't even prayed for rain yet. And he's telling the ruler and the king of the day, Hey, start getting ready. It's coming because I'm gonna go up on a mountain and I'm gonna start praying, that is the level of Elijah's faith. That is his confidence and boldness, not that he has in himself, but that he has in God. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. This is what desperate prayers look like. This is what daring Prayers look like well. Everyone else is eating and drinking and going about their lives. You're getting going away to a lonely place, and you're falling to your knees and you're crying out to God for the city. You're begging God to move in a radical way. He says, "Go and look toward the sea." He told his servant, and he went up and he looked. Says, "There's nothing there." He said, seven times Elijah said, "Go back." So he starts praying. And he has such confidence that God is gonna move that he doesn't stop praying the first time when his prayer isn't answered. He's like, well, guess what is does He's like, guess I gotta pray again. Oh, it's not there. Guess I gotta pray again. It's not there. Guess I gotta pray again. Over and over and over. And then finally, the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you because the flood is coming. The downpour of God's provision, of his presence, of his grace, of his goodness is on the move. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel three years into a drought. A massive downpour diluges the city and a celebration breaks out in the streets. New life springs up in a a depressed place. This is the climactic moment in Elijah's story. And you guys, this is what God wants. See, God wants a church so desperate for his presence, so connected to each other that we pray in unison for a move of God in our city. This is what it means to pray daring prayers. Would we be a people that get away to the mountain, that fall down on our knees and say, it doesn't matter that the eating and drinking continues. It doesn't matter that, that the rebellion and running away continues. We are gonna pray for a move of God in this city. We are gonna pray for his goodness. We are gonna pray for his grace. We are gonna pray that he would reign as king and ruler over all of us. What if we, like Elijah, like Elijah, began to actually pray. Not not just blessings on our own life, not just goodness for us, but if we began to pray for each other, if we began to pray for our city, what if this Tuesday, when we have a day of prayer and a night of worship, what if seeds were planted that would reap fruit for generations to come? Because we as a people said, we're gonna pray. We're gonna seek the face of God. This is what God wants He wants to see our city reborn. Do you realize that? He wants to pour out his spirit on all of these people. He wants to be made famous in this day, in this age, among this nation and among this world. And this incredible act of God in 1 Kings, it didn't begin with fanfare and celebration. It happened because one man went alone to a mountaintop and prayed. Prayed for God's goodness, God's grace, and God's will on his people. Man, what if that was us? See, after Ernest Shackleton died, they found his journal. And every night as his men would go to sleep, he would sneak out. And he'd walk among the ice, and he would pace. And he would journal notes from that day. And he ended with a prayer every single time. It was the same prayer over and over. He said, God, would you make me into the kind of man that could get these men home alive? Amen. See, prayer is going away to the quiet place. It's not the fanfare. It's not the sign. It's not the big celebration in the party. It's the closet. It's the darkness. And it's the faith that says, man, if we could understand God's power, and his goodness and his grace, and that we have access to that through Jesus. This city would just be flipped upside down if we became a praying people. And so this is my burden. This is my call that we would pray daring prayers for our city, for our children, for our future, for our spouses, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our leaders, for our teachers, for our governors, that we would be a praying church that says the greatest thing that we have to offer is not something that we can do for people, but it's the presence of a ruling and a reigning God that we have free access to. Lord, would you move in our church? Would you move in our hearts? Would you just Would you teach us to pray not for knowledge or information? Would you just teach us the practice of falling to our knees, of longing to connect with your presence, of being vulnerable with those around us and letting them in to the pain and suffering of our hearts and our lives. But Lord, would you move big? Would you move beyond what we could ever ask or imagine? that we would see your goodness and grace poured out in this city, in this time, for your glory, that your name would be famous. And all God's people said, amen.